Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is Yoga Land. Today my guest is Jeevana Heyman. Jeevana is the founder of Accessible Yoga and the author of three books, the newest of which is The Teacher's Guide to Accessible Yoga, Best Practices for Sharing Yoga with Every Body. As usual, I loved Jeevana's most recent book, and that's what we focus on today. This is the second time I've had Jeevana on the show, and you can find the first interview. It is episode 176, if you listen to this one and want to go back to listen to that one. It's always great to have someone on for a second time because you both kind of loosen up a bit. You have a shared connection from the last time. So we really went deep in this conversation. We talked about so many things, including the importance of breaking down some of the hierarchical traditional power structures in yoga teaching and becoming a more collaborative teacher. We talked about his view of creativity in teaching and its connection to spirit. We talked about his pet peeve about the word modification, which I love hearing his, his take on that. And it's just an all around great conversation. I love sharing his work with the world. And I love that the work that he does in the world. Before we begin the interview, a quick bit of housekeeping. I have the schedule for Jason's teaching for this year up on the website. You can find it at jasonyoga.com slash schedule for his online teaching. We're also both going to be teaching at the Yoga Reaches Out event, which is an event that benefits Boston Children's Hospital. That is happening April 28th. And if you'd like to join us there, you can register at yogareachesout.org. Lastly, Jason will be running his Preventing Injuries course again. It's been two years, I think, since he's run this online course. It's called Better Way to Flow, Preventing and Managing Common Yoga Injuries. And you can get on the wait list for that at learn.jasonyoga.com injuries. It will go on sale on February 20th, so we'll have all the details up by then. And the first, the cohort group for that one starts on March 19th. So you've got some time, but go join the waitlist today and we'll send you more information as soon as we've got it. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening to the interview. Here goes. Well, thanks for being here again, Jeevanette. Can you believe it has been? So I had to look on the, on the last, at the last episode, it, the last time we spoke was February of 2020. Oh, wow. So not only has it been four years, which it doesn't feel like it's been that long. It was right before COVID lockdown. And we were just talking about like all the things we were going to (laughs) do, all the conferences and all these things. Oh my God. Yeah. And you, so in that conversation, you, um, you mentioned that you were just starting to think about or, or work on, I'm not sure this book. Really? So Yeah. Wow. I mean, I probably, I think my first book had already come out. It, yeah. We were talking about your first book. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I know that was probably my second book. I was talking about Yoga Revolution. Because okay. um, this book, I probably only started, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a long, long time, but right. seriously only writing this for like the last year. Or so, oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you, but, you published another book in between. That's Yes. <laughs> oh my God. We needed to talk again. We need to have another. Oh my gosh. You are a prolific writer. I, I love writing. It's it's a practice for me. So that's just great. And I, I, I actually had, I was a journalist for a short time. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you do a great job in the book of, I feel like this particular book, 
really gives people this mac like your kind of macro level vision of what makes yoga accessible and also kind of like why are we doing this and then you also include so many specific serviceable practical ideas for yoga teachers mm-hmm. on you know everything from like how to make thoughtful language choices things to keep in mind about financial accessibility class planning asana all of so i i just want to encourage anybody who i my listeners really love like the nitty gritty like how do i do it <laughs> so this book really really lays it out for people in a in a really helpful way for me, I love all the macrocosm stuff. Like I love that you um, start at the very beginning for you at the very foundation. So I guess I just want to start by asking, you know, why this book at this time? Well, I, I, first of all, I love that observation about the macro and the micro, because I, I, I think that was the biggest challenge with this book is it actually, I felt like I couldn't get into as far into things as I would like to really, because it could only be so long. You know what I mean? Like it's already, I don't know, like, I don't know, 300 pages or something. And I just could keep going on and on and on. And you know, you know, There's like. so you're... much to talk about. I know. I was so impressed because I'm just, uh, oh my God, how did he put all of this together? It's so, there's so much. No, but I mean, I wanted to go f- further, but right. I think I appreciate that. I think what I tried to do is find a balance of that, of like the macro sense of like, here are the topics, you know, here are the the things to consider. Like, think about your language, think about your sequencing, like you said. And then just give an example of that. Like, but within that, it could be like a whole book. I mean, each of those topics is a book, right? Like sequencing yoga classes, um, our language, trauma-sensitive language, Mm -hmm. um, physical accessibility. Like each of these things is like a whole nother book. So. Yeah, it was hard to stop myself sometimes. I uh, can imagine. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I'd say why was just because I, I, that's what I do. You know, I train yoga teachers. That's like my regular job. And so it was almost like I thought I'd just give it all away. Like all the things I cover in my trainings, I kind of tried to pack it into this book, really. Yeah. So really, it's it's kind of like a gift, honestly. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to give it all to... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's really, I mean, it's really comprehensive and I, I can definitely see what you mean, like that you could have kept going about certain things, but I, I appreciated that it was also concise. And I would say there were, there were just, there were several themes that came through for me that I appreciated so much. I really enjoyed, like they just got me excited. And one of them is, um, and I hope I'm not being too broad, but uh, just the importance of collaboration with students. I think that was so helpful for me as someone. I'm not a teacher, um, but you well, know, you are. You are. I am, a, but like, as someone who wants to, like, well, you just pointed out really well that yoga teachers are so well-meaning and they want to help people. That's so often like why we're motivated to do this. Yeah. And then we can kind of get into these pitfalls of like but it's hard when I can't fix someone or it's hard when I can't relate or it's hard when I don't know what to say or it's hard. And I felt like the collaboration concept, it just really resonated for me. Yeah. I I like that you found that. I agree. I think that's the piece that kind of took me long enough or 
or longest to find in my teaching was that idea of not having to have to have all the answers. I think when I was a younger teacher, I I felt like I just had to study more and and learn more and become like an expert in everybody, you know, that came to me. And that was impossible. Mm -hmm. Also, I had many disabled students who showed me that that wasn't my job. Like they didn't, they didn't want me to fix them. Mm -hmm. Some people did. Some people came to me saying that like, fix me, but Mm -hmm. Mostly it was the ones who were just like, you know, just show me the, give me these tools and then watch me go, you know, and then they would just right. go on and often surpass me. I honestly, like I've seen, I've seen students who were just like amazing what they did with their lives, you know, including just how they handled their challenges and then some who died. And I think death, you know, I, I started teaching I was an AIDS activist and started teaching my community of people with HIV and AIDS. And that those students who died actually taught me the most, which was like, mm-hmm. I can't fix them. And also I can't take on that responsibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because then I, I, that's the other part I think about the collaboration thing is also boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that boundaries help me be closer to you actually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether they're, they're professional boundaries, personal boundaries and finding those boundaries allows me to come very close without hurting myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, and also it's kind of like slipping out of my mind as I'm trying to articulate it. But the other thing I took away from it is you're not taking away someone else's agency when you're collaborating with them. Like I think when people see others with disabilities, I mean, I have a little bit more experience with disability than I used to. And there's often just such a sense of othering and such a sense of like pitying. And I think it's in a way to distance ourselves from things we don't understand or from things we like quote unquote hope never happened to us or something like that. And so there's that like impulse to like fix or it's Mm -hmm. part of like the othering. Whereas when you're collaborating with someone, you are appreciating their own identity and humanness you know like they've come in with they come in with their own hopes and goals and dreams um exactly i love that i i think that's exactly right i think that ableism is that is a is insidious and it also it's not only the way that we think about disability but it's like you said it comes out often in seemingly positive ways like pitying or feeling you know even even if we look at it like having compassion i think it can still be a little it's about creating a distance like i'm not you yeah not me and, yeah but also it's part of the whole like thing about yoga teachers having a certain persona like being perfectly healthy I mean, this whole like false ideal we have that i think just feeds into that as well right. so, so i think half the battle is an internal battle for a, for me as a yoga teacher to address my own, I don't know what, my humanity, mm-hmm. the fact that my body also gets sick and I get older. I mean, I'm older mm-hmm. and I can't do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to like not expect perfection from myself. Mm-hmm. And then I can let it go also for my students and see them as as equals, equal humans mm-hmm. in this journey. And, mm-hmm. and I also think that whole the teacher-student relationship is so complex especially within yoga 
because I think uh, not only because of the history that's there among like the guru disciple relationship, but also because it's a spiritual discipline. And I think within spiritual disciplines, there's so much abuse and so much, so much, so many complex power dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed that you addressed this directly in the book. And I was really appreciative because, uh, okay. So you address in the book that so many of the teachers that brought that we, we learned from in the West have been involved in, in abusive power dynamics. So Patavi Joyce is one. Um, Yogi Bhajan from Kundalini is one. Um, Ayengar, I don't know that there were any sexual allegations, but there people have talked about, you know, abusive physical um, environments. And then some Swami Satchitananda, who was her teacher. And I appreciated that you you wrote about that. Two things. One, I wonder if you could talk about how you reconciled when you when you finally like learned and believed the abuse had happened you 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 talk through how you reconciled the teachings from with the teacher and i think this is so vital because so many of us have to grapple with this consider where our yoga has come from i wonder if you could talk about that and then i also want to talk about this kind of paradigm shift of of Mm -hmm yoga teachers that I'm seeing you and teachers like Jason and other mm-hmm. modern teachers do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that is an important journey that I've been on and I'm not sure there was a moment. I think I'm still figuring it out, Yeah. You know, but I definitely had a, like a guru disciple relationship. Like I felt like Swami Satchitananda was my guru and I was very dedicated and I spent years and years with him and then after he died, you know, still totally devoted to him and and to the organization he built. And 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 so I mean at least 20 years I was totally involved. And and I love so many of the people there still. And I don't know when it clicked for me, but it did at some point, like, oh wow, this is real. And yeah. I can't, I can't support this anymore. I can't support him. And I can't support this organization anymore. And it's been very, very painful for me. And it still is because I love them all a lot. And I loved him, but I feel like I just, it's almost like the parent almost like, totally. you know, when you recognize some, like that your parent was abusive or did something. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's impossible to like say it clearly or simply like what the answer is but i would say what i came to in the book and the book writing the book helped me Mm. with this is that it's the teachings you know the teachings are the guru and he actually even said that he said it to me he said it over and over again and i think i didn't want to hear that but you know he said i'm not i'm not the guru the teachings are the guru Mm. and i think that's true and i think we have to i have to see that i have to see that actually these teachings are amazing and i'm very grateful for them incredible grateful in fact but one thing i mentioned in passing maybe i don't know if you noticed it was just gratitude to all the people who kept these teachings going for so long i mean that's the other part of this it's like thousands and thousands of years of teachings that we have this incredible tradition not just these individuals that we've put up on a pedestal but Mm -hmm. actually unknown people right yeah it's true it's true like all of the people who've followed them and passed it along just in the like in the not obvious ways like in the not in the leading a group of 90 people but the ways they 
taught their families or the ways they were in their community or yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, no, I think you, you made a good comparison of it. It's like discovering that your parent is not just human, but made some really egregious mistakes and it's incredibly painful. And I think when people talk about, especially when people were talking about Patabi Joyce, like that was not, it's not always taken into account how painful it is for the people who were following. Right. It's like, it, it's just a really, really difficult reconciliation that, as you said, maybe doesn't ever completely happen. I don't, I don't think it does with a parent who, you know, has anyway, things. So it's like, yeah, I I think, I think we do need to, as a community, if I could speak about the community, I think we do need to do a better job though, about finding a way to hold each other responsible and our teachers responsible. Like, I do think there's a a gap. It's Mm -hmm. like, there's like the, the news comes out and it's like, you know, I don't know, like there's, it gets spoken of, but then I feel like sometimes it gets quiet again. And that a lot of those teachers still have a following, you know, like with Bikram. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I can't believe he's back actually. Yeah. So that's like, we could have like a whole other podcast about that because it's like, <laughs> that just is a real stumper. And to me that is speaks so much to a human, like being drawn to charisma Mm-hmm. more than national right. teachings i don't know you know i yeah yes i agree that it's it's really important to talk about this stuff because that's how it just helps everyone around us to understand that these transgressions happen and that you know to, like you said to have healthy boundaries and to look for teachers who have healthy yes. boundaries and right. so this is where I was also thinking about, I wanted to bring up when you had a quote in here from Matthew Sanford, who's just, just a fantastic teacher in person about the collaboration element. And I think he says something like, you're sitting, you're sitting next to me by the fire. We're both warming our hands together instead of like yeah. sitting across from me. And I love that. And I also um, thought, I also thought this takes a really mature person to be able to not take on this role of I'm a guru I'm passing this down to you you're beneath me I'm above you I am the the soul I hold the key to the information I I give you the information when you're ready it takes a really big person to be able to be side by side and I, I see that I do see that as one of the positives in the community over the past like five to ten years with all of the Abuse is coming at like more and more and more and more and more. It's like, okay, this needs to be done differently. This needs to be done differently. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, well, Matthew is genius and he definitely, it's funny. I used to laugh at him because he would say, I'm not a yoga teacher. I'm an asana instructor or something like he would, he didn't want to even call himself a yoga teacher. Uh It was, I get that. I think Jason has that. Yeah. 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 It's kind of that same thing. Like, I don't want you to put me on a pedestal. Right. And, yeah. uh, and yet I would put him on a pedestal. Actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you love him. Yeah. Yeah, I do. But um, yeah, I love that. I, I just, I think it's a practice. You know what I mean? It's not one thing. It's like an ongoing effort right. to have clarity. 
to me, I mean, honestly, I just go back to the yoga philosophy and that's why like, I start the book with it, you know, because mm-hmm. I think, I think it's all there. The answers are, are there for us in terms of yoga ethics, especially mm-hmm. are so clear. And I think I go as far in the book as to say, like, if we practiced yoga's ethical teachings, then yoga would be accessible already. Like we wouldn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, non-harm, if, we, if that was really behind everything we did, we would already teach in a way that caused no harm. And then everyone would be welcome and included and not hurt. And, and I'm not, it's not possible to be hundred percent like, you know, but I'm just saying that I think if we go back to those teachings, the answers are there. Same with this kind of like abuse. Like if we actually practice yoga's ethics, this abuse would not be happening. Right. And also the other piece about yoga philosophy that always comes up for me is around ego and I don't think we like to think or talk about that part because it's like, it's like opposite of capitalism and like the idea of like having, you know, a following and marketing and, you know, so it's like capitalism is at odds with the yoga teachings in that way. Cause Ahimsa is not saying, I mean, Asmita, it's not saying don't have ego, but use it in, in the mission or pursuit of your spiritual calling, not for its own, you know, self aggrandizement which right. I think is what happens. And I, I get caught up in it too. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you get, I don't know, when you finish teaching and the students come up to you and they're like, oh, you're so amazing. It's like, <laughs> how can you not start to believe that? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. But I think even, I guess my, the one of the things I'm trying to get across, I hope this sounds as positive as I mean it, is that I think even taking the men, on the mentality of, you know, I'm going to, do my best to collaborate. I think just even taking on that mentality is a complete paradigm shift from just one or two generations above us. And I think it, I think it will lessen abusive dynamics. I think it does by nature of the way, like the language that you use by the way, the energy that you come at someone with. And, and so I wonder for you, like, do you ever, I, I, I guess I wonder for teachers who are new out there who are like, okay, I want to be like, I want to do this, but I also know that I need to maintain kind of some semblance of leadership. And I don't want to, I wonder if you, if there are any, if you have any thoughts about like, is that challenging at all? Or is there anything to think about in terms of how to do it um, without feeling like you're undermining yourself? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have a lot of thoughts. I, th- I think, well, kind of, I feel like I wrote the whole book for that reason. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. like that it's, it's almost like you, I think what you're touching on here is like, there's like a certain way to be that makes yoga accessible. It's almost, it's like very subtle. It's not, it's not any one specific thing, but it's like this whole approach, you know, right. and I think you're touching on something so important, collaboration to, to respect the, uh, the student as a human being. Yeah. And, but I would say, yeah, what to bring. I mean, for new teachers, I I think it's about doing your own practice and, and working on your ego. And I talk a bit about imposter syndrome and I find that it's like finding that really difficult balance because I know for me, it tends to go one way or the other, you know, like it's either I'm the best or I'm the worst. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, I, I know what you mean that's so true it's what we do it's what we do to ourselves right so funny 
And I think actually it's probably, I don't know what I found training yoga teachers over the years is the most, the more sensitive people tend to do that even more, you know, and think, and especially the imposter syndrome part, like thinking they're terrible, but actually often those end up being the best teachers, mm. you know, because there's a certain sensitivity to other people's experience there. It's like, I mean, you can puff yourself up and then you're going to be the one who falls. I mean, that's what I try to say in the book. It's like, but at the same time, you can just put yourself down and never really gain anything. And so how do you find that delicate balance? You know, yeah. it's, there's a middle path there. And I think it's to put yourself in the role. I think that's what, what is it called? A servant leader. Hmm. That expression is like to be a servant leader. It's like, I'm, I'm leading you, but I'm here to serve you. Mm, that's and so can, nice. Yeah. How can I do that? How can I actually be in my, in the leadership position in the role of service to you? That's what I think it is to be a, to be a yoga teacher, honestly. That's uh, such a nice characterization, like easy way to remember that I'm here to lead you, but how can I serve you? Yeah. I like right. that. And actually leading leadership itself is I think a really interesting topic for yoga teachers to, to reflect on. I don't think we do enough. Mm. Like, and I think you were touching on it too. Like, what does it mean to be in that role, to be a leader? Someone people look up to and people listen to. And how do you, how do you use that position for good? Right. For the students good and for your own. Because I see, I've seen both things happen. I mean, I've seen people who do a lot of damage to others, but also people who really hurt themselves you know, like burnout, for example. Right. right, Yeah. Or not even kind of let yourself step into the role perhaps yeah. of leader. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I think one of the ways to make yoga accessible is to really diversify the field of yoga teachers, like who's teaching. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we have to really push people that maybe feel like they're not, they don't look like a yoga teacher. You know, they don't have that image, whatever it is, of like a thin, skinny, bendy white person, mm-hmm. young, I should say, mm-hmm. and um, non-disabled. So like for those of us who don't have that identity, I think it's easy to feel like an imposter. And, and I've just met, I had so many teachers come to me like that, you know, who just feel like I can't, I'm not good enough. I can't do the poses and I can't do that. And I'm like, but you have so much, you have so much experience and wisdom and your students need you. Like there's such a need for you out there. If you don't look like that image. Right. No, it's, it's really true. I mean, it is, I think a beautiful thing that has been happening again in the last like five to 10 years. There, there are, there is just more diversity and and it is so important to see i i liked how i kind of giggle there for a second because i liked how you said there's like this there's this pressure i mean i i notice it you know when i meet people outside of the yoga community let's say like (laughs) some sport sporting event or something like for sophia Mm -hmm. and and they ask what jason and i do and jason's like tall and lean and fit and i'm like middle-aged looking and like not you know what i mean and and i can and i have a little bit of like i have a little bit of 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 internal like they don't think i look like a yoga person right 
you know, and because there is this image of it's like aspirational, quote unquote, healthy mm. image. Yeah. And, and, and A, that's not necessarily, those things don't necessarily correlate, but B, what you point out like throughout the whole book is that that's not actually the goal of yoga. Right. But that's not actually, that's just like the outside part and the shapes and the poses. And it's literally just like one tiny little piece. And if you, I loved how you said, you know, if you, I thought I had had it written exactly. So I'm just going to be paraphrasing because I don't, but you said something like, you know, if you, if you don't, if you choose not to see the goal of yoga as liberation, like it's your loss. It's not yoga's loss. Oh yeah. Actually, I think that was a quote from Indu Aurora. You know, like, well, like Jason, I I interviewed Jason for the book and I had many other uh, contributors I interviewed so for what my my thought was for each chapter, I would talk to some other like experienced teacher and hear their thoughts on that topic yeah. for that yeah. chapter. And it was great talking to him actually. And he was so funny. He he was he, first thing he said to me is, "Why are you talking to me about accessible yoga?" <laughs> He's like, "You know more than I do." <laughs> but actually, it was really it was interesting. And he had, I think, really useful things to say. He kept using the word kindness and coming back to like just being kind. Yeah. Anyway, Indu spoke about that. Indurora, who's incredible, talked about it's not yoga's loss, it's your loss. If you don't get the the breadth and depth of this practice, like if you just want to focus on asana, you can get a little stronger, a little healthier, make some money. Yeah. But you're not, you're, it's your loss for not getting the fullness of this, you know, she's yeah. always blows my mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it's such a salient way of looking at it. So do you feel like, you know, one of the things I actually really liked, another thing that you did in the book was you had like, well, you have a lot of reflection questions that are excellent and really thought provoking. And then, but you have, you have these sections where you have like an example of something that might happen after class or in class, ask you something, and then your reflection on how you might have deal with that. And one of them, I think the one I was thinking of, the example I was thinking of was the the person who wanted the class to be more of a workout. Like, uh-huh. they, you know, you might have a student come to you after class. Yeah. And- no, I, ha- I had the, those, there were scenarios that I put at the end of each chapter and they were all real. They all really happened to me. I didn't always respond the way that I did in the book. Like I usually, this is like <laughs> hindsight. More reflection like, time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I learned a lot now that I had time, but yeah, those are like real things that I've had happen to me. Like have a student come up and say like, you know, I'm really looking for more of a workout. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so I I was glad you put that in there because all of this sounds so lovely like to read and you know to aspire to, but like getting down to brass tacks, it is so hard. So maybe you can just talk through like what a, a possible approach to res- you know responding to that kind of that question. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's funny because my editor Kat, um, I don't know if you know Kat Rebar, but she she helped me with that one because I had you know, I had this whole long answer, which was basically like yoga so much more like it's a teaching moment. That's how I thought, you know, I thought, okay, and that, and that's how I had responded when that's happened to me in real life. And it has happened. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would imagine it's happened yeah. to many. I know it's happened to Jason too. Yeah. yeah. 
and I definitely teach more gently than he does. But um, yeah, I, I usually try to educate someone like, oh, well, you know, yoga is more than just about physical exercise. And exercise is awesome, but, you know, yoga offers this spiritual, <laughs> whatever. And, you know, and then Kat reminded me that, you know, it can also, you can also say, okay, like you can also do it. You can actually say, yeah, well, you know what? Let me offer you some other variations during a class that are more intense. And I think that's an amazingly important option because in one of the things I do in the book is talk about how we can try to serve individuals in a group, yeah. which I think is complicated really for complicated. us. And yeah. for me, I always think about that as serving the people who can't do what, you know, might be like happening in a regular mat class by bringing in a chair or something. But I think the opposite is also true that we can, we can integrate people who want more physically intense practice by offering them variations during a practice that are more challenging. And that can be done individually, mm-hmm. just like you might offer someone a quote unquote modification, even though I hate that word, you can also offer someone kind of like a more intense, intense modification. Mm-hmm. That's really true. That's really true. Yeah. yeah. Or the other thing I say in that response is like, we're just tell them to find another class, help them. Like, okay, well, you know what? I know this other teacher and right. that's what they do. Right. It's just meeting people where they are. Oh. Okay. So you brought up the M word modification <laughs> that you hate, which I, I know this about you. <laughs> and you talk about, tell us first your beef with the word and then kind of this, like, the idea that you present of the, the, the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I don't like the word modification is that one definition of the word modification is, is to reduce and to have to be less. It's not the only definition. And I realize, you know, some, some modifications offer a positive capability, but I think in the, in the sense that we use it in yoga, to me, there's a subtext that a modification is less than. And so I, I prefer other words like variation or adaptation or anything like that. It's like there's more of a neutral feeling about it because I really do believe that. I'm not just I'm not just saying that. Like <laughs> I really <laughs> strongly believe that you don't get more benefit by doing a more physically complex version of a pose. In fact, I, I actually think the opposite might be true, but I won't, we don't need to go there. But I mean, if we're working on yoga and the goal here is yoga, which is generally I mean, to me, it's defined as turning inward and connecting with our spirit or our true self, whatever you want to call it. I think that can happen often more easily in a more simple, perhaps more accessible version of a practice. So, yeah, then I share this concept of each pose or each practice exists on a spectrum of possibility. And I kind of like that idea like of like, like a rainbow, mm-hmm. you know, and like you, red isn't better than yellow. Like it's not they're beautiful, each one. And like today I can be doing that yellow version tomorrow, the red one, but it's not like worse or better. And I think I just see people struggle with this so much. And it's there's such an idea of advancement in yoga as being a physical thing and only going in one direction. And I've just been around enough people who've get, gotten sick and died and enough students who've been older you know, and even, I don't know if I told this story in this book or my earlier book, but, you know, my grandmother taught me yoga when I was a small child. And by the time she was in her eighties, she, she had a very intense physical practice actually. And she would do a hand a headstand every morning. 
And I know. And then um, when she got into her 80s, she had to stop doing that. Yeah. But she was absolutely brilliant. And it was just so clear to me that, you know, she would also meditate. And she kept doing that. But it's like the physical practice went away. And it's like, it wasn't that she was like less advanced. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as she got older, she wasn't less advanced. Yeah. 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 yeah, The spectrum makes so much sense because like you said, I mean, I, I think it's also for those overachievers, which, you know, I would say in my twenties, I would, I would count myself as one of them who really was like, I really did want to do advanced arm balances. I really did want to do these things. And I worked really hard, but because I was fortunate enough to have teachers who, you know, taught me about the, the the sort of deeper experience and the more inward experiences. Once when I went through phases where I couldn't do those poses, like I was pregnant or I was sick or I was going through fertility treatment or whatever. I didn't just say like, Ugh, well, I can't do yoga anymore. You know, I, I, I it was, I, I feel fortunate to be introduced to that concept because then the practice changes with you too. Even if you don't consider yourself to be disabled, like you're going to go through different ranges of ability at different times. Yeah, you are. And I do. And I actually, I, in my twenties, I was the same as you. Like I did all that intense practice and injured myself a lot, actually. Yeah. Me like too. I still, yeah, you did too. And that part bothers me too. I just feel like to me, I don't know if we should put ourselves, push ourselves to that point of injury in the name yeah. of yoga. It just feels like at the same time, I know that people like I love to exercise and I, I, I bike every day. And like, for me, there is a huge release that comes from that. Like exercise releases something, I don't know what it is, hormones, right. Or something it lets, or the nervous energy, you know, and I think intensive asana does that for a lot of people. So I don't mean to criticize. I think it's beautiful. Like I really do. And I, when I say spectrum, I really don't judge that. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, that's something that really I've learned recently because I, I don't know if you, you follow me on Instagram, but I do these reels where I match remix intensive practice. Yeah. And it's helped me like reaching out to these people. And in the beginning, I always ask their permission. And that's nice. There were, I, I had been othering them is what I'm trying to say. Like mm-hmm. I had, <laughs> like I had created a divide in my mind in yoga. Uh huh. Yeah. I might call one real yoga and the other not, but it wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't good. That wasn't yeah. yogic of me. <laughs> Like it's all yoga and it's fine. Like yeah. we're we're wherever we are and that's fine. And it, I mean, physical practice is beautiful and powerful and yeah. amazing. And that's what's so beautiful about yoga. Oh, one more thing about it. That's what's incredible to me about asana is that in a way, it's what makes yoga accessible and not accessible at the same time because asana itself is such a kind of like, what's the word? Like something you can... Do. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a great inroad. It's a great like, yeah. It's it's like a tangible thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a thing because like most spiritual practices, at least that I know of, are not so tangible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to create something so like doable, like oh, I can do this with my body, and like, right, it makes it more accessible. So I mean, I I absolutely yeah. love asana, and I think it's so incredible. I just don't want to get lost in it that's all and and i think just yeah and i just think you know the the point is so appreciated that like 
there's people who do advance and there's times in your life to do advanced or not. And then there's people who don't. And it's, it's like, you said something like, I love that we all have the same heart, right? Even though our embodied experience is different. And that's, that's the yoga like that. I, I just thought that was so beautiful to remember that. And along those lines, one other thing I wanted to make sure I asked you was I really just thought it was so interesting that at one point you listed, you know, the different important points of making yoga more accessible. And the last one was destigmatize chair and bed yoga. Mm-hmm. And that just jumped out as, at me as so important because you, you know, you don't see it as much if you're just going to studio classes. So I, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. Like, why are those forms important? And, and how do we destigmatize them? Yeah. I feel really strongly about it. I think chair yoga in particular is like revolutionary to me. Because I think that it levels the playing field. And well, it takes away, to me, what it does, it takes away that kind of intensive piece of asana. And feels like it puts it into a more, I don't know, doable realistic realm for most people. Like if you just look around, you know, the world, like even just in the US, most people can't do the asanas that we see like on social media at least. But I think almost everyone can do chair yoga. Not everyone. Again, there's some people who aren't comfortable sitting in a chair for a long period of time, but I think most people can. And so I feel like it opens this practice up to just like so many more people. I don't mean only for people who are disabled or identify that way, but mm-hmm. I mean, anyone. Mm-hmm. And it could be older people or people who aren't into yoga or people who don't exercise, whatever. But like chair yoga to me is a way in that mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. so huge and offers just, yeah, just so much potential. Yeah. That gave me pause because I, I haven't really thought about it. And that really gave me pause of thinking like, yeah, why am I not teaching my mom to share yoga? Yeah. I've been trying to get her to quote unquote, mom. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been trying to quote unquote get her to do yoga for yoga. like twenty years. Uh-huh. She doesn't really want to. But uh-huh. if I taught her some simple sun salutations in a chair, breathing, that could really help improve the quality of her life. Yes, I have helped a lot of people's moms. Like yeah. that's definitely my mission. You know, it's uh-huh. like, I mean, it. That's the thing, though. I I think. I'm just trying to bring chair yoga right into the middle of it. Like it's not a separate Mm -hmm. thing like over there, you know, it's not like here's real yoga and then there's chair yoga over there. It's like, no, actually chair yoga is real yoga. It's right here. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. it's all of the potential of yoga exists there because Mm -hmm. you're still working with the body, but you can go beyond. And that's what yoga is about. It's about going beyond the body, going beyond the mind, connecting with that place. Like you said, the heart, that is a universal. And we all have that. So, I mean, why not? You know, why not chair yoga? And I know that also it's really great for people who need it the most. Like, you know, I think about people in, like, in prison or in schools or in, I don't know what, any, you know, places that maybe people don't have access to a full-on mat yoga class. Because I think there's a certain exclusivity to that mm-hmm. kind of yoga that is just not available financially or time-wise or just like within the realm of someone's the possibility right mm-hmm. to like find an hour to either go to a studio or get online and take a class I don't know if that exists within a lot of people's reality but I do think 
like you said, the sun salutation in the chair, it's like we can almost all do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like selling it to you now. So. No, I, 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 I'm already sold. <laughs> I'm totally already sold. It just made me feel mm-hmm. like this is something I should pay more attention to. And I, yeah. and I, I would even say like most yoga teachers, you know, to pay more attention to. And I think that's yeah. why, why you wrote the book. Like it's, it I'm, I appreciate your voice. I appreciate that you're out there. You just speak to these issues like in so in depth and in so much detail and in a really accessible, no pun intended <laughs> way so that it's like very vibrant and alive and, and it's really important. So, so I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you too. I appreciate both of you. And and I feel like both of you actually are very grounded and clear and accessible in your teaching. So I, I really appreciate that too. Well, thank you. We're trying. And I learned a lot from the book. So, you know, I highly recommend it. I mean, I think one of the other interesting things that you brought up was like the saviorism aspect, right? Like to just that again, like, I mean, I think you just speak to the pitfalls really well, the p- potential pitfalls that are just human and you're not shaming about it. You're not shaming even about this idea of like the saviorism that we all want to do good, but sometimes we we're not, we're like, not necessarily empowering a group if we're, you know, being patronizing or if we're, um, and, and you pointed out like that that's why one of your aims is really to, to, to help not just make yoga more accessible, but to, to make, to create like a pool of more, to train people to become teachers. I think that's the, I think that's the answer actually. Right. I do too. Yeah. Give people the tools to teach and and not always think that I need to go and yep. teach there. Yep. And also to like refer people out, like to say, oh no, I think someone else can handle this better than me. Like just to be, you know, I think we compete with each other, but to just help people find the right teacher for them. And then to support people who are interested in becoming teachers. And especially those that do have some kind of marginalized identity or feel like they're just not good enough. Like those are the ones that I really want to support mm-hmm. in any way I can. And that's pretty much what, we do in accessible yoga is just try to support yoga teachers who don't feel like they're in the middle. So I appreciate that. What else are you working on? What have you got coming up? I'll obviously point people toward your website and they can learn about your trainings, but anything you want yeah. to talk about? I mean, this book was just a reminder that I love writing. So I'm, I'm already starting another book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just, it's like a practice for me, you know, it gets, yeah, it gets, me, to, yeah, it gets me to think, huh? No, it's inspiring to me. I always, I constantly put off the idea of doing a book. Really? Yeah, I do. I put it off. It's so strange. Well, I, I think, I think the idea of a book is the problem actually. Mm, so okay. I would let go of that idea, but I think it's about writing. And I say that I love writing and mm-hmm. whether it becomes a book or not is, is not my concern. What my concern is, is can I find another practice that helps me connect with myself more honestly? And writing does because it's like, I mean, it's kind of like therapy. It's like self mm-hmm, Totally. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then, because if you focus on the book too much, I think it's more product oriented. Right. Uh, it gets overwhelming to me. I just don't want it. And then I'm like, I get all this inner resistance. I don't want to do it. Like I'm like a kid, like sticking my feet out. Like, no. Oh, yeah. No, I have, I have a lot of ideas about that. I think writing it in short pieces, um, like a series of articles or blogs. Like if you just wrote a blog for a year, like mm-hmm. even once a month, that's like 12 chapters, you know, of a book. And then you can either just edit them or expand on them. 
I also love like voice to text writing. Like I do a lot of that because I like to walk. So I, I, I just find that sometimes just sitting in front of a blank computer page or whatever screen is not helpful for me. So I usually have to do something. I'll, I'll make a note on my phone when something crosses my mind and then I'll go back to that later and expand on it. So I think to me, writing, I think it's best when it's considered like a, a almost a daily practice in terms of something I'm doing, whether I'm just like brainstorming or I'm talking to my phone when I'm walking yeah, or I'm then editing those ideas m- m- later. Mm-hmm. And like editing is like a whole nother part, right? Like that's the work, actually. The hard part is mm-hmm. the editing part. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe I need to call you one of these days and just yeah. have a talk. That was yeah, good. I I'd love to more than more than one. <laughs> oh my god, no! I could. I would love to help you write a book. I can tell you exactly how to do it. It's it's not. I mean, like I said, it's just make it a practice, and then all of a sudden there it is. Like you, right. you know, yeah. That's like funny. I can't believe I've written three books. It kind of makes me laugh a little because I don't think of myself that way. Yeah, you know, I'm mostly teaching all day, so. But now you're ex- really experienced. So you're you're thinking about slash working on your next book. Yeah. All right. And have you like honed in on, not that you have to share it with us, but have you? Uh, I'm, well, it might change. Right now I'm thinking around meditation. You know, like I'm really interested in exploring that, like teaching okay. meditation. And, you know, that's a piece of my work that, I feel like I, I I got excited about it in this last book actually, and I wrote I was when I was writing that section, I thought, oh, I could really keep going. So that's what's been on my mind. But you know, like I'm trying not to focus on the product and just be there in the creative process, yeah. which is yoga, by the way. Like I love to that comparison of yoga and art because mm-hmm. I have a background in art, and mm-hmm. so it's like that's the flow. Like I just want to be in that flow state, and like yeah. whatever comes comes. I, I did. I, that was another theme that I loved in the book was that you related, you brought in the the idea of being creative, looking yeah. at it as a creative process, oh and that like that just brings so much joy when you think of things that way instead of like, okay, I have to say this and I have to not say this and I have to make sure I do this but not this. Yeah. Like, oh no! Like just tap yeah. into that part of you that is beyond all of the the yeah. thinking and the worrying and the. Yeah, yeah. I think that's spirituality, actually. I really do. I think creativity is spirituality. And so when you tap into that flow state, it's like being in meditation. Yeah. Whether you're, yeah, if you're writing or drawing or dancing, whatever the thing is that brings you joy and makes you, and actually, what it does for me, it gets me out of my head in a weird way. Like, right? It gets me in, it's like I don't exist in the same way. (laughs) Totally. It's so nice. It's so pleasant. What do you do? How do you do that? How do you do that? The same and and writing is actually a good for me for that. Yeah, completely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Walking, like walking, and then walking stimulates the creativity, and then like sitting down right after I walk. Yeah, like a beautiful time if I can make those things sync up. Or meditation. Yeah, meditation. Yeah, I think nature too for me, like walking, but you know something about walking in nature yep. something being in the presence of something bigger than me and helps a lot like being at the ocean or being trees something like that that really yeah. helps um 
biking is mine too. Like biking just gets me into like some kind of meditative place. Um, But I think, I think that's what yoga is for. It's like, to me, I think the, the ancient yogis knew that and they basically created these practices because those practices stimulate that experience directly. Right. And right. like we all stumble on them occasionally. Right, know? right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. But yoga like does like yoga brings that. Mm-hmm. Like, asana, pranayama, meditation creates that. That's the yeah. point, right? To be in the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could keep talking, I think, for another hour, but I will I will let you get back to it. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here. And I will obviously put all the links up for how to get your books and how to find you and all that good stuff. And and we'll have you on again to talk about your next one. Yeah. And talk about yours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned meditation when I was reading your book, I was like, gosh, this is something that I have never, I've just only started to come into my own of thinking this, but I do really have a goal of making meditation more accessible to people in the sense of not making it seem so unnatural like you know how you say in the book it frustrates you when people say like oh i'm not flexible enough to do yoga it's the same for me when people are like oh i could never meditate i could never still my mind i'm like no you totally can you do you totally can and anyway so i i can totally yeah that sounds like sounds like my book too yeah well i think that that is a message that needs to be shared Mm -hmm. agreed agreed so we can both yes noodle on that Yes, yeah. and we can have um, matching books that can. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Well, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reading that, but I would love to support you in that anyway. Just let me know. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, well, good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Yuna. Thanks for listening, everyone. I will put show notes, including a link to Jivana's book, a link to Accessible Yoga, and all of the training that they have to offer and a link to the previous episode that we did together at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 320. If you enjoy the podcast, please do share it on social media, share it with your friends, or leave us a rating and review. That's always incredibly helpful. If you want to follow along with my writing or some of the behind the scenes with me, you can join me on Substack and you can find me at yogaland.substack.com. All right, everyone, until next week, enjoy your practice.